Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSB Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Have you ever heard this saying, being comfortable in your own skin? So comfortable that you're willing to be naked and exposed. We're going to dive into the importance of coaching, vulnerability, and confidence. Confidence to keep the lights on and yes, go naked. Mm. Our next guest is a master certified coach. He founded the Institute for Life Coaching Training. He's also the founder of Coaching the Global Village. He's done some incredible work with the Navy SEALs. And what's amazing about his work with this world of coaching is he brings not only his experience, but he's actually helped to shape the world of coaching. He's a member of the Forbes Coaching Council, is a much sought after speaker and an author of multiple books. We're thrilled to have Dr. Patrick Williams joining the Twins Talking Up program. Dr. Pat, welcome to the program. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. This is Danny. And from time to time, you hear Dave and I speak, but we'll make sure to tell you who's speaking so that you don't get confused on which twin is talking. Uh, Dr. Pat, you studied psychology. You worked as a therapist, a psychologist. What led you to this profession and world of coaching? Because... Uh, we would like to understand and learn a little bit more about that from you. And yeah. what are the similarities and differences between therapy and coaching? All right. Well, the first question is, I was always interested in psychology as a way to understand human behavior. Even as a young kid, it's like I had a pretty happy childhood. You know, when I went to graduate school in psychology, people said, what's wrong with you? You don't hate your mother. I, I, I'm sorry. But I, I had an okay, more than okay childhood, and I wanted other people to learn how to live beyond mediocrity, not just settle for being okay, but to get beyond trauma, to get beyond life's knockdowns, et cetera. So I studied psychology thinking, oh, I might want to be a college professor. I wasn't planning to be a psychologist. I just loved psychology. And then when I started college in 1968, yes, I'm that old, um, I, my first course was Psychology of Satisfaction because Psychology 101 was full, thank God, because Psychology of Satisfaction introduced me early to the likes of Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, the theories of human potential. So I got my degree at University of Kansas in Psychology and Speech Communication. Then I went on to get a Master's in Humanistic Psychology, uh, even had Carl Rogers as a teacher, believe it or not. Uh, Joseph Campbell as a teacher, um, and then I went in to get my doctorate in transpersonal psychology, which Maslow wrote about right before his death on the beyond the personal, beyond as kind of the whole person, body, mind, spirit. So to make a long story short, I was always researching and studying what expanded our consciousness, what helped us be more purposeful. So I wasn't into pathology and labeling, even though I became a clinical psychologist, I functioned more as a coach. 
And I started doing executive coaching in 1990 with Hewlett Packard and IBM and Kodak, et cetera. And then when the coaching movement started in 95, I, I helped form the ICF and the rest is history. Now, the other part of your question was, what's the distinction? So let me give you the quick answer. It's really the context of the conversation. What does the client think they're getting? Are they getting psychotherapy because they have some category in their life, some trauma that needs to be healed, that needs to get uh, open the wound and, you know, put on some salve, give them a place to safely express what Carl Rogers called empathic listening? Or are they just a regular human being who's got a little challenges, maybe instead of depressed, they're depleted, lack of energy. So coaching and therapy use some of the same skills, but they use it in a different context. Coaches are not trying to treat or fix or have a prognosis for, here's your, here's your ailment, here's what will help. So it's more of a coactive conversational modality. And I think that's what most people were seeing a psychologist for. There were no coaches back in the 70s, 80s, you know. So people had to see a counselor because what else was there? Your, your priest, maybe your your minister, your mother. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, we know we know about mothers, right? That's true. So I so I think I think that's it. Coaching came about as a objective <clears throat> listener um, that could be there for exploring what it is the client wants to change. So, Dr. Pat, this is Dave, and I appreciate you sharing that. And it's such a great leadway into my question about coaching. And it's good to know that coaching is more defined as a partnership aligned to help bring yeah. out the best in that client based on their personal goals and objectives. Uh, they're not there to be the therapist. They're not going to write prescriptions for any type of drugs, et cetera. No, they're not licensed no. in that way. No. So you were one of the early pioneers of what we call modern day coaching you're one of the founders of the International Coaching Federation. Tell me in your time, since you were really one of the, the main guys, the main <laughs> gurus behind getting it going, what's changed, what's progressed in the world of coaching, and how do you see mm. the industry of coaching now? Well, it's been phenomenal. I mean, when I went to the first conference in 1995 that kind of became the ICF, there was like 187 people, mm. you know, and then 15 years in a row, I went to conferences. The next year was 300. The next year was 600. The next year was 900. International conferences of 1,500. Um, it, I didn't have any idea it was going to spread globally like it did. I mean, we're, we're, the International Coach Federation has membership coaches in 148 countries. Wow, that's amazing. Now, I don't know how many countries there are, 220-some, but... Uh, that's amazing. If you lit up a map right now and said, here's where coaching exists, you know, that could, that could be a world changer if, yeah. if used it right. Um, how it's changed is even though I was granted my master certified coach in 1999, because I, I was grandfathered in way before I was a grandfather, um, because I'd coached so many years with Hewlett Packard and I, I'd coach, but my coaching has changed 300% since then. I don't, it was a little more formulaic back then. It was a little bit more executives were sent to coaching back in the eighties and nineties. Like you're going to get coaching or else <laughs> you better turn your behavior around. You better learn how to manage better. 
And now the coaching is for high potential leaders. You guys work a lot with leadership. And then there's also the fields of wellness coaching, relationship coaching, parent coaching, uh, all kinds of money coaching. There's all kinds of specializations. Uh, and the word is overused. I mean, anybody can use it because it's not licensed. But anybody can use the word consultant, too. That's not licensed either. Bad consultants don't get clients. Bad coaches won't get clients. So I don't think we need to worry about it. I appreciate that, Dr. Pat. This is Dave. I love how you shared about the world of coaching, what it's done, what it means. And it really boggles me that more professionals don't really invest themselves by getting great coaches there. I mean, you think about the world's greatest performers. Yeah. Oh, athletes, yeah. musicians, ballerinas, they have coaching. And because yes. they believe in that field of profession to bring out that very best in them. Yep. Why can't the top leaders, the top company uh, C-suite members do the same thing? So I'm, I'm glad to hear that what was once a little seed of let's just plant this idea to grow this profession has really blossomed in such a way to where we now can provide so many great resources and needs to professionals that are out there. So thank you for your continued work. I love that. Well, that's a great metaphor. Plant the seed so it can blossom because I use, I work a lot with metaphors and coaching because that's a lot of the language a client might use that, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So if they have a metaphor or analogy, it helps. But here's the point of what you said. I want to emphasize coaching has, grown in great favor in corporations and they've gone through phases in the 30 years plus I've been coaching they no longer send a coach send a, a employee to coaching because they're in trouble hmm. and a lot of companies Boeing and well Boeing used to have a whole coaching department they don't anymore but they still emphasize coaching um, that shoe company that used to advertise at the airport I can't remember their name but uh, Google, you know, Google has their own coach on staff who skateboards, skateboards down the hall and is available. <laughs> um, so I think coaching has become ubiquitous. And if you need some coaching, somebody in your organization might be trained in the coach approach. Okay, that's good. But they still work for XYZ company. Hiring a coach outside of the company is more objective, whether the company hires you or you get hired because executives and leaders can benefit. And by the way, I say leadership is an activity, not a position. So Agreed. everybody is a leader if they step up to solve a problem. They may not be the designated manager of this team, but everybody's a leader. So. Amen to that. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. 
And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSP Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Whether you are hosting a major conference, a specialized training, or a year-end corporate event, finding the right keynote speaker or breakout speaker should be at the top of your priority list. Partner with Elite Speaker Services to book speakers according to your specifications and needs. Elite Speaker Services has the depth of speakers and the experience to bring you peace of mind and a successful event. Go to EliteSpeakerServices.com for all your event needs. Let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Yep. I love that. This is Danny. I love how uh, you said that everybody is a leader that yep. uh, is willing to step up and solve a problem. That is so true. Um, I want to get to the fact that uh, you're also an author. Now, yep. one of the great things about being an authority in, in your field is that when we can't get a hold of you directly on the phone, by video conference like we're doing, podcasts, whatever it may be, we can also get a glimpse of you through your books. Now, ah. you've co-authored and written, uh, I believe, about six books. Mm-hmm. And your latest book is entitled Getting Naked, Emotional Transparency with the Right Person at the Right Time in the Right Place. Right. Uh, that, that is such an amazing title, amazing wording that you put. Right time, right place. Tell us a little bit more about your book and what does it mean to be get naked? Yeah. Okay. Well, my other books were co-written. If you look at all my books about coaching and ethics and becoming a coach, they're all co-written. They wouldn't have been finished if I didn't have a co-author to bounce things off of. The Getting Naked book was something that kind of percolated for years. I had a file in my cubbyhole. Oh, that's another good chapter. That's another good title. For 10 years, I stuffed things in a cubbyhole. Someday I'm going to write this book. And let me let me tell you a quick little story. I know we're limited on time, but one of my mentors when I was getting my master's in humanistic psychology in 1974 and 75 was Sidney Girard. Sidney Girard was a Canadian psychologist who taught at University of Florida. And he wrote books called um, Disclosing Yourself, uh, man, you know, um, Transparent Self was his best book. And when I was 25 years old and he came to a fish fry at one of my professor's house in Georgia, I said, oh, Professor Gerard, I said, I, I've had this book forever. I love your writings. Would you autograph this? He said, sure. You know, Pat, uh, good luck and all you do, Sidney Gerard. And I, he handed it back to me and I said, oh man, I, I thank you so much. I want to write a book like this someday. He said, give me the book back. And then he wrote, Pat, if you never write your book, you have no one to blame but yourself, Sid. Nice. I still have that book. He died. Well, here's the rest of the story. The next day, he went back to Gainesville, Florida and was working on his car. The jack slipped and crushed him. The next day, 
So here's a guy wrote this in my book, and the next day he gets killed by his car, crushed by his car. So I tell you that story because that message percolated in me for years, and I knew someday I had to write a book about self-disclosure and about the transparent self, which is what his stuff. So Getting Naked was the first book I wrote for the general public, even though I talked a little bit about coaching clients. So the metaphor is getting naked emotionally feels like being naked in public. You know, one of the most common dreams we can have. You ever had that dream where you wake up and you're naked in a room? And, you know, it. that's a, that's a common dream. That's one of the top eight dream things, by the way. I used to teach psychology of dreaming. Um, so the getting naked metaphor, that's what it is. Don't go get naked on Fifth Avenue in New York. You'll get arrested. <laughs> mm-hmm. And don't go get naked with anybody emotionally. Don't sit at the bar and tell your story, which often happens to people, right? Yeah. Find the right place, right person, right time. And you only need a few. And you may need to tell them, you don't need to fix me. Just hear me. I just need to get this out of my shadow box. And it's, it's not about the deep, dark stuff. It's about, sometimes it's about aspirations that we put on hold because maybe we got married young, had kids young, and so we never became that dancer or that artist or that whatever you wanted to do. Well, what about now? Yeah. Where can that be a place in your life now? Yeah, Dr. Pat, this is Dave, and I appreciate that story. <laughs> I've heard you share that before. And what a blessing to be able to get his daughter's um, blessing. Oh, my God. You have researched me. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, Sidney Gerard's daughter. You're right. Wow. (laughs) I love that. But I wanted to kind of go a little deeper into that. And I'm glad you you started sharing about what it really means to be naked. I'm a minister as well. And in marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I often use several (laughs) stories and passages from the Bible And there's one in Genesis chapter two, where we see Adam and Eve coming together. The Bible says in verse 25 of Genesis chapter two, that Adam and Eve were both naked. They felt no shame. Right. And I often use that passage to share with couples that you have to have such a level of openness, vulnerability, that you see everything about each other. And yet you're not embarrassed about that. Right. So is that a reason why in your book, you start talking about how you've got to have just a few that you could be yes. completely that way? Or can yes. you talk a little bit about why that's the case and why you're not just naked with everybody? Well, yeah. I mean, whether somebody takes that story literally or it's a nice metaphor, the story has always meant, and it shows up in other religions too. There's a similar story of a beginning humans uh, feeling naked. I mean, um, the, the bottom line is that they felt no shame. Well, when did shame come in? When somebody started judging the nakedness. Nice. Right? So metaphorically, what that means is, in my book, I talk about this. We all wear clothes, and sometimes we have to wear masks, by the way. You might have to go to that corporate Christmas party and put on a mask of being the diligent employee, watching the stupid people get drunk and goosing each other, what it used to happen, right? But you know you're wearing a mask. If you know you're wearing a mask in that moment, that's okay because you can't be naked and authentic everywhere. I mean, you just can't. You're, you're, you need to have a place where you know you're being authentic and restrained, 
or a place where you can share with a trusted few, maybe one or two or three, something that happened to you a long time ago that got retouched, something that happened to you lately. I mean, what if somebody gets a diagnosis of the wife has breast cancer or the teenage daughter just got pregnant or uh, your mother's dying? You know, who do you share that with? Who can you get to know the real you? Um, I'll say more about that as we go, but I think your story that you share is important because that is a metaphor for how we feel emotionally naked. We feel like we're unclothed. We feel like we're unprotected, like we're visible, like we're being judged um, if you're not with trusting people. Trusting people, the whole story changes. Yes, exactly. This is Danny, and I want to go back to this aspect of vulnerability with leaders, right? Yeah. So w- w- there's, there's so much that happens in the business world, specifically sometimes parents do this and military leaders and even CEOs of companies where they have to come across strong and they can't be vulnerable at times. But right. there's this adage that there's a time and place. There's this factor, yes. right? That comes in where many people struggle with knowing what they should do and what they should say. Right. But how can how can they be vulnerable or how can they be transparent without portraying a sense of incompetence or lacking of confidence? Because there, there's this this mixture, and I come from a military background. I served in the ah. military. My father was our father was in the military, and at times we feel that we have to come across strong or or yeah. really have the strength about us. But yet we we want to be vulnerable. But how can you be vulnerable? How can you be transparent? without looking incompetent or looking as if you don't have that confidence as a leader. Beautiful. Well, Danny, in the military, people have to be, uh, what's the word? They, they, they pretty much have to be trained to be withholding emotions in the moment. You, it's like an EMT that comes up on an emergency scene. They make decisions in the moment that would scare the crud out of me, yeah. but they're trained and military are trained to react, to, to, to react rightly with choices. The rest of us in everyday life try to learn how to respond and not let our amygdala and the brain hijack us. You know, that emotional part of the brain that wants to just punch somebody or yell or scream or whatever. So I think in line with your question, there's a shift going on in the workplace. And I think the younger generation is demanding more authenticity, more transparency. Um, a couple years ago, gosh, I, I think it's been a couple years, I wrote an article for Forbes Coaching Council as an aftermath to hearing survivors of the, um, what was the school shooting in Florida? Portman? Yeah, what was the name of that school? Um, how how quickly? I want to say Portman. That's not right. It's close. Uh, Strunum, Strunum, whatever. It'll come to me. Mm-hmm. But after the school shooting in, in Florida, several of the boys who became like vocal activists of what went on. They were on national public radio and I was driving somewhere and I heard him being interviewed and this guy was saying, well, you know, 97% of school shooters are men. Mm. What, what, what's that about? Uh, well, they said, well, sir, we're still taught as boys to not feel, to grow up, don't be a wuss, grow a pair, don't cry, be strong, just like you just said, Danny. Yeah. 
And I, and I said, oh, man, is that still the message? I mean, God bless us. We have got to give people the ability to know there's a time and a place where you can share. Life happens to everybody. A national football leader might have a tragedy in his life. Um, so let me let me just wrap up by saying everybody needs the a right place, right person, right time to share. And when I wrote that article, uh, this the new CEO of Goldman Sachs, like three years ago, was telling all his managers to be more transparent. Mm. So if somebody comes to work, the new motto was, Danny, if you come to work and I say, hi, how are you? I really want to know the answer. I don't expect fine and have you walking down the hall. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked because our 16-year-old daughter set us down last night and told us she's pregnant. And it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the manager can then say, oh, man, I know that's got to be tough. Thanks for telling me. If there's anything we can do to support you, let us know. That's all that needs to be said. You know, he knows, or she knows. They know that you know they care. And if you need something more, you can ask for it. I love that. This is David, Dr. Pat. And, and by the way, re referencing back to the school, it might be Parkland or... Parkland, Parkland, yeah. yes. So Thank you. Um, really what gets me in terms of what you're sharing about that aspect of vulnerability, and I'm glad that my twin was trying to bring this out, is that there is a there is a balance there about how to have vulnerability in the workplace and what to expect. And I think it's got to be this this environment where people feel confident that yeah. they can be open without that judgment. And I love that that right. came out. So we're talking about self-awareness. And this is, I think, one of the great aspects of having coaching is helping professionals to become more in line with who they really are. And Bro. so it's almost like a discovery process. It so is it's not just about tweak this, tweak that. You're actually helping them to discover themselves and sometimes turning on that light of aspiration or hope. So how, how do you go about doing this for professionals that are already, let's say, type A, they're driven to take over the world. This is just who they are. But how do you help them to, to really push that pause button and say, let's just open up a little bit about who you really are. Let's just get more in line with you seeing you. Because I think that could be the challenge for some leaders is saying, can we stop enough to know, how do I feel? How do I see myself? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think that's the heart of coaching. I wrote an article years ago called Coaching, Not Recovery or Uncovering, but Discovering. Mm -hmm. Because therapy might be about uncovering and recovering from something like addiction or abuse or... Um, severe trauma of some sort, but coaching is about discovery. Our clients are going to be asked questions by us that neither one of us know the answer to. We're discovering. We're helping them see and that and that what you talked about, the who they want to be. I I deal a lot with the I am. Who are you? And the I am, as you know, even comes from John. It comes from. There's many places in the Bible that I am comes up. I am that I am. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that's our ultimate unique purpose that we were born into. Everybody's got a unique purpose that you may not have discovered yet. So I think coaching is about the asking clients to step into what they don't know. It's all about knowing what you don't know. What's next? What do you want? What's in the way? Uh, what have you tried? There's no failure. Let's experiment this week with this. What'd you learn? 
Um, there's another story I can tell you about working with um, uh, Timothy Galway, who wrote Inner Game of Tennis, Inner Game of Golf, Inner Game of Skiing, Inner Game of Work. And it relates to this because his methodology was learn what you learn while you learn it. See the ball, hit the ball. Where did it go? Where do you want it to go? Oh, wait, you want it to go over the net? Okay, went into the net. What do you need to do different? He didn't tell people how to hold the racket, how to hit the ball, how to position your feet. He just let them figure it out. Mm. And that's what coaching is. We're not telling people how to live their life or how to solve their problems. We're creating an inspirational, conversational space where that can occur. And the coaches that make a mistake are the ones that feel like they have to add wisdom to the conversation, like, here's what you should do. Or, I mean, it's okay to brainstorm, <laughs> but the client has a lot of what they need to know within yes. them or the questions that they have will lead them to new learning that they need. That's exactly. the bottom line. Exactly. I love that. And that's so true. It's, it's really helping them to self uh, discover for themselves. Discover, right. Exactly. I love that. That is so true. Yeah. My metaphor for life is I'm an adventurer. A compass is my, I, I carry a compass in my pocket. It's like, what's my true North? What are my, mm. I'll head down a path. This is my life. I'll head down this path, this direction I'm going. But if I take a few side trips, that's part of the fun. Yep. I love that. I love that. This is Danny, by the way. Um, I want to go back to a little bit to your book. Um, you have you, you in my in my mind. Uh, there are some people who love to, when they read, they want to be able to look at stats, figures, charts. Other people want to look at imagery, and and other people want with relatability. Other people want a story. So everyone has their own concept of what they they are basically looking for in order to connect. You 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 have to love the imagery and play on words with your book. You you had uh, stated. Uh, tell us what your thought was on Fifty Shades of Play. Yeah. Versus well, the Fifty Shades of Grey, as as we all yeah, yeah, all of yeah. us are probably aware aware of. Uh, is it just is it just you having fun, or tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's having fun, and I have to admit, I never even saw the movies Fifty Shades of Grey. I thought it sounded weird, but they were popular. Yeah. So I did a play on words. Fifty Shades of Play. I had another chapter. Your shadow. Don't leave home without it. Kind of like yeah, a, I like that one too. A Mastercard commercial, right? Yep. Uh, the Emperor has no clothes. Um, uh, you know, comfortable in your own skin. I forget what uh, prison break. You had the keys all along. Those are some of my chapter titles. Nice. So the Fifty Shades of Play was like in that chapter is a lot of the research on the value of play. So. The title was be a little tongue-in-cheek humorous, you know, instead of Fifty Shades of Grey, which had to do with, you know, sexual um, experiences, Fifty Shades of Play was giving people permission to, like, break out. Yeah. You know, break out. Where can you, where can you have fun? Where can you laugh? Where can you be like a kid again? Where, where do you give joy? Where do you get joy? Because... Even the even the the Buddhists and the Christians and the, I mean, every, everybody talks about happiness comes from within. Yeah. And if we're stuck, and we're not happy, we're stopping the flow. It's like a dam that is stopping the flow. So the Fifty Shades of Play was research about the value of play, laughter, and then some resources that would help people understand that even in the midst of turmoil. There's always a funny way to look at things. Not not funny at other people. I made a point 
that humor is about not deprecating other people, not putting other people down. A lot of the famous comedians do that. Uh, and I, I even stated most comedians have a very troubled yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, that They use humor to express pain or good way. <coughs> but most people just need to have more fun in life. You know, it's yeah. meant for that. Yeah, I agree, Dr. Pat. This is David, and I love that that encouragement and challenge to say, let's explore what adventures can come your way, how you can have fun. And there's been research, as you know, on <coughs> the role of humor and laughter when it comes to even yep. physical and mental healing. So I, yes. always, I always love that. And so we might get mad and think, well, you got to be serious. No, sometimes you, you've got to learn not to be so serious so that you can learn to explore and push your, your own uh, comfort zone, so to speak. But... I think I subtitled that chapter, 50 Shades of Play, how to, how to live seriously but have fun or something. How to, you know, you don't be so serious that you can't laugh at yourself. You know? <laughs> well, not everybody I, has a twin. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I need a twin in my life to help me to, to not be so serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, I'm going to talk about you in a second here because I, I want to ask Dr. Pat about something that he, he wrote. But part of coaching is really helping clients to reframe or in a way reset their mindset. So right. we take this sense of how we can open up new opportunities for them. We look at giving them a newfound perspective. It's it's that old adage of, well, I don't think this can happen. Negative thinking to, hey, this could be a possibility. Why not look at it as an adventure? So right. we're reframing the I can'ts to why not or why right. can't we? And right. so even growing up with my twin, and we are twins, but in our culture, mm -hmm. because he's older, he was always treated a little differently. So he was, I looked up to him. He's my older brother, right? <laughs> so there were times where he was a little bit more gifted in certain aspects of, of uh, um, schooling um, when it comes to sports. And so I felt there were times I couldn't do something. He would say, Dave, you can do it. If I could do it, you could do it. We're genetically the same. You could do ah. it, right? So we've, we've had to evolve in some ways, but it really helped me to learn that I can change my thought process. Why am I limiting myself? Why am I letting fear or something I've never done before help hold me back from being my best? Can you talk about how you do this with professionals and then maybe even kind of give us a little snippet of the six-step process or the tool that you provide on what we call naked self-disclosure, the aspect of recall, reflect, reveal, um, there was something else there, reboot and restart. Right, but right, right. You kind of shed some light into what led you to provide this tool and how you help to reframe the leaders you support. Well, here's the interesting part of that story. When I was studying transpersonal psychology in the 70s, it was all about consciousness raising and understanding things from different perspectives. Uh, we studied... Eastern thought, meditations, Tibetan Buddhism, uh, bio, uh, biofeedback, um, even research in psychedelics, which now with veterans is proving to come back and be curative. You know, so some of the early research on that was not about being a recreational drug, but an exploratory way to, and now we have ayahuasca and stuff like that that's out there. I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying there's ways, meditation, yoga, prayer, all kinds of ways that we get into a higher state of consciousness. And I think that mindset, well, I don't think, we finally have the research to back up a lot of what I studied mm -hmm. in the 70s. Like biofeedback. 
Biofeedback came in and people would hook up to a machine and learn to raise their temperature and their fingers and their migraine would go away. It's like I was taught the autonomic nervous system couldn't be changed. Hmm. Well, meditation showed you could lower your heart rate, your blood pressure, your skin flow, your blood flow. Um, and then 6,000 years of yoga and, and uh, some of the stuff in the Eastern philosophy now we have neurological research that shows how it works. Like it's like the Wim Hof method. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Wim, the cold water stuff, right? Yeah. And years ago, Harvard did research on the acupuncture points, and they proved their collections of energy. Now, that doesn't prove that the meridians work, but it proves that we have places in our body that are collection of energy. Today, we have neuropsych research that shows the heart for example, has 40,000 neurites in it, particles for neurological uh, composition. If you touch your heart, what does your heart say? I do this a lot in coaching. Here's my thinking, thinking, thinking. What does your heart say? Your heart might say, just do it. Go for it. Take a chance. Your heart isn't logical. Your heart is <clears throat> quick. And it's not made up. And the gut reactions, we know about gut reactions. We have brain matter in our gut, too. Mm -hmm. So brain, heart, gut. There's a connection. And interestingly enough, in the Indian culture, that shows up as a chakra system. Ooh. Energy points, you know. Um, now, um, David, you also ask about my six-step process because I think this is part of what re-energizes people to feel more empowered, to be themselves, and that is this. If, if, if there's something in your past, it could be a month ago or 50 years ago, that still haunts you, that still comes up, that still feels unfinished. Frit, Fritz Perls in Gestalt Therapy used to say, therapy deals with unfinished business. Hmm. Unfinished business. Well, then write about it. Yeah. There's many psychologists that have written that writing in a journal about what bothers you that only you're going to see just writing about it helps it helps a lot people express their emotion and it changes energy is energy in motion emotion that's a proven fact it's not a myth metaphor energy emotions are energy in motion if you express sadness to somebody it shifts in your brain it goes away it lights a different part of your brain lights up okay so very quickly if you have something, then you re you recall it, you think about it. Oh, this issue with my sister or that man who abused me or my divorce or my dad's death or whatever it might be. You recall that and then you reflect on it. When did that happen? How did I feel? Who was with me? Just what are, who are all the players? And then you reveal that um, to another person. That's when it gets naked. Who can you share your story with who may just listen? I just need you to listen and let me get it out of me. And then you reboot and restart your life, just like a computer. You know, mm -hmm. if my computer's stuck and I, I reboot and things get um, defragged, which I wish I could do to my brain, <laughs> um, and you, you restart your life with a new clean slate. Yeah. So yeah. that's the point of that. We'll be right back after this short break.
We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the DSB Leadership Speaking Podcast. If you are enjoying the program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Also, consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple and comment on our other platforms, including YouTube. If you'd like to learn more and get more information, we would like you to become a guest on our future episode. Send us a message via our website at www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy to social media and reputation management for businesses, professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a particular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. I love that. My my. Uh, this is Dana, by the way. Um, just a side note, my wife, when she's talking to me, um, before we have our deep conversations, I'll ask her, do you want me to be your husband or do you want ah. me to be your girlfriend? And oh. she says, I want you to be my girlfriend. That means it's not a it's not a time to fix anything. It's a time for her to get it all out. Yeah. So that she can reset and that she can That's beautiful. herself and move That's forward. Beautiful. So yeah. I know and- that my engineering background always wants to dissect everything, how you said it, why you said it, what's taking place, what can happen, and then formulate a solution that you need to do now to, in order to move forward. Right. And so she knows that about me and she'll say, look, I just need you to be my girlfriend right now. And this is her, uh, uh, this is how she comes across to be uh, what you call Dr. Uh, Dr. Pat Williams as just coming across naked. Someone she can yeah. just talk to, be vulnerable with. Beautiful. And, and that's how she does it. So yeah. it just made me I, think about that. I like that. Cause when I used to do marriage therapy, I did a lot of what we call the, uh, Hewlett Packard marriage, you know, an engineer married to somebody who sometimes was a challenge, <laughs> but, um, but I, I like that. And I, I hope that you can begin to embrace that. You're not her girlfriend, but your let me be your heart based husband or yes. whatever you want to call it. Let me just, let me just be your committed listener because that's what a girlfriend is. Like right. That. Women, women are way better at sharing stuff than men. Men yes. go to a bar or to a sports <laughs> team. What do we talk about? Sex, the stock market and rock and roll. Yeah. Or, or what? I mean, that when do we get real? Well, I think that's changing. Yeah. If you see commercials nowadays and there was like after Kobe Bryant died, mm. you remember how many star athletes cried in their interviews. Mm. That was a positive thing to see. Yeah. Don't hide it. Model it. Model mm. it for the youth. And I think we're seeing that now 
post-COVID, a lot of people kind of got stuck yeah. in what I call languishing, not depressed. Mm. And this is a psychological term, by the way. We weren't really depressed because that term is overused. Sometimes I use the word depleted instead, your energy drained. But we weren't really excited and motivated and I'm ready to go get it because we're sequestered, we're limited, we're quarantined. So languishing, I think, is what most of the country felt, a weight on our shoulders, kind of a limitation of who we can be. Even if we work virtually on Zoom, which I did way before the rest of the world, um, it's not the same as giving a real hug and going out to dinner mm. and seeing family and, you know. That is so true. That is so true. I, I, I tell you when I hear stories of what people have felt, what they've faced through this health pandemic, it, it, it reminds me so much of, well, we needed to talk all along anyway. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. I have a monthly Zoom call with my family now who goes from Hawaii to Thailand, to Oregon to California. To, it's like that never happened before. You know? It's so true. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, this is Danny. I was going to say, um, I want to make sure that we uh, continue this conversation a little bit more. I want to get another, uh, just talk a little bit more about your book as well. Um, you said something unique in the past was that uh, you, you said that it's great to write, write things down. Yes. You said it's great to write things down, your thoughts, your feelings, and anything else. Uh, and it actually helps you. Uh, are there any other uh, insights from your book? that when we, when a user, a reader can actually read it, will actually get them to want to actually be proactive and do something about it. Because I know one of the things that I like to do with people that I coach and people that I lead is get them to the action of doing something. Yes. It's great to talk about things. Right. Awesome. Maybe it makes you feel better, but the action of doing something. Right. Actually take one step forward, uh, for example, to get you moving somewhere. Can you give the users uh, and, and the audience members today another insight on how they can do something in order to move forward. Yeah, let me share. So the uh, so last two decades or so, um, there's been a lot of written about on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. When Daniel Goleman, who was a colleague of mine way back in the 70s, he used to be the first president of the uh, Association of Transpersonal Psychology way back when, like in the 70s, right? But emotional intelligence was a game changer. All of a sudden, people could talk about emotions in the workplace because there was research, there was mm. science about the importance, right? Feelings were okay to talk about. But I think what's happened, Danny, is, well, we might have all this emotional intelligence, but what do we do with it? Yeah. Are we changing our behaviors? Are we changing our actions? So I call it awareness intelligence. That's just a term I made up. I don't have a book on it. But, not yet, uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But I, but I think in, in my epilogue of my book, the latter part, here's what I say. Let me just read this paragraph. Life is continuously providing us information or messages. When we do not listen, the messages become lessons. When we do not learn, the lessons become problems. Right. When we don't address the problems, they become crises. And when the crises go unresolved, they create chaos in our life. So we get lots of lessons. Everything that's happened to you, bad marriages, illness, over-drinking, overeating, whatever happens in our life, chosen change or unchosen change, eventually we have to accept it all. Even unchosen change, eventually, 
You know, my my late wife died four years ago when we moved back to Colorado, be close to grandkids, three weeks after we moved into our new house. And that was a shocker. And yet life goes on. I've learned from that. I have my history with Jill. Um, I'm in a new relationship from somebody else that also had loss. My kids are happy. I'm happy. Life moves on. But I had to share a lot of that lessons that I learned. <laughs> and I did comically say, oh, please, God, let this relationship. I'm, I've had enough lessons. Let me just have this relationship be mutually sustaining. <laughs> so, so that's it. I'm trying to be purposely. I write. I meditate. I, I, you know, prayer on the trail when I'm walking, whatever you want to call it. How am I being connected to my purpose today, and not just being willy nilly? You know, just being random. <clears throat> I love it. I love it. And by the way, beautiful area, Colorado. I think you and I have spoken before. It was an area that we thought about retiring in one day. So beautiful. I love Colorado. Well, everybody and their brother singing about retiring here today, man. We're growing like crazy. But... <laughs> make sure you get the land. Make sure you go buy some land, David. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the river right outside my house, right behind me. The Cash Laputer that beaver trappers used to come down. Um, so that's sunset to the west and the river, and there we go. I want to just say I thought uh, I thought that when you think about some of it, so you talked about something that was really cool meditation. Yes, right? I just want to I just want to highlight that real quick. Um, well, you also brought up we also said a little snippet of uh, the Wim Hof method, and yeah. I, I have to admit I actually did that, and I've got my I have my wife now um, experimenting with cold showers. And so I would have to say meditation, the ability to just get your mind clear, the cold showers that help reduce the internal temperature in your body, all that stuff is really awesome. But how do you convince um, business leaders to meditate? Um, I, I remember my um, former VP of sales when I was leading global channel sales for a Canadian company um, kept asking me questions. Uh, how do you meditate? What are the purpose of meditating? And after a while, he said running long distance because he's an ultra marathoner uh, is his way of meditating. Yeah. He's out there just yeah. being one with his body, being one with nature. He's not thinking about work. He's not thinking about family. Um, but how, how do you get leaders to embrace this Eastern methodology of, of just meditating? Because they're always go, 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 go. How do you get them to want to embrace uh, meditation? Well, first of all, you can't convince or get anybody to do anything, but you can supply information to consider. Like I think with leaders today in the corporate world, the research on meditation that makes it less, my daughter says, less woogity boogity, you know, it's not some mystical thing. It, I mean, when I learned transcendental meditation way back in the 70s, and you got this mantra and you just sit for 20 minutes twice a day. I couldn't sit. I was a, I'm was a walking meditator. I can listen to music. I can do 10 minutes. And I have a method now called the, the Ziva method that you can look up, Z-I-V-A. Very simple. So if, if managers can find out that, A, meditation increases your energy. It does. A, a couple weeks of meditating 10 to 15 minutes twice a day, your energy will be better, your efficiency will be better, your sleep will be better, and that's proven neurologically. 
you don't have to convince them, but you can say, well, take a look at this. You know, it's not anything, it's not anything more than pausing and calming in a beautiful place in nature or envisioning nature or listening to Enya or, you know, whoever's your calming music. It helps the brain and the heart. It helps our energy. And if they want to read the reports and say, well, I should take a look at this, then I think you have to keep it simple. This isn't some, you don't have to sit cross-legged. You don't even have to sit, you know. Um, you don't have to have a magic mantra. Uh, you you can think of the word one. The research at Harvard has shown that. But it does work on systems of the body that we overstrain. When, when we're workaholics and go, go, go. Um, if you can't take 10 minutes twice a day, then there's something wrong with your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Pat, this is David. What I, what I encourage people to keep in mind is you, you have to invest in yourself. Yes. Whatever, whatever that might mean to you. If it's 10 minutes a day, if it's an hour a day, invest in yourself, whether it's your growth of your personal profession, whether it's the ability to grow in your own intellect and right. learning something new invest in yourself. And the idea, like you said, of giving them the options, here are options. And if you know your clients, if you really partner with them, you're going to know what stimulates them. You're going to know that they need facts or they need study, or right. you're going to know that they're the adventure type. They want to try ideas. And so right. once they start trying and exploring, they're going to implement something that's going to work for them. So I appreciate you, you making that point. Uh, Dr. Pat, it's been a pleasure having you <laughs> join my twin and I, I, look forward to and i really hope to have you back on multiple times in the near future because i can see you doing more writing more training and personally for us i want us to continue to put ourselves in positions where we're learning from experts like yourself because i believe that employees and professionals should embrace coaching yes they should embrace the yes. idea of getting outside unbiased direction and influence right and so i want to encourage our listeners the people that follow the twins talking up brand and our program to not to forget to pick up dr pat's latest book getting naked emotional transparency with the right person at the right time in the right place i want you to be comfortable in your own skin and i want you to trust the people that are going to be placed in your life to help you to be the best version of yourself visit dr pat's website at drpatwilliams.com if you want more information, or you can just go to Amazon right now and pick up his book. Dr. Pat, it's truly been a joy. Thank you for joining my brother and I on the Twins Talking Up program. You're very welcome. And I should say, it's also an audio book where I can read it to you. So that's my voice. So And he, he his voice might be the common <laughs> voice for you to hear. I love that. That is so true. But Dr. Pat, thank you again. And uh, it's such a pleasure. We look forward to having you back on. Dr. All right. Thank you, guys. Good job. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.